Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be covering Chapter 7 of Mysteries of Creation, starting on page 58 and going to page 67. The name of the chapter is Names, Titles, and Offices. I'll dedicate the program and then we'll get right into the reading. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask thee, Father, to forgive us of our sins and our transgressions, that we may have thy Holy Spirit to be with us, to lead us and guide us, and show us the way that we might understand our role in bringing about thy kingdom upon the earth, that we might learn the proper interpretation of scripture and not have to trust in our fellow men, but trusting in thee alone to receive revelation and confirmation of the spirit that we may go to you as the true source for the correct interpretation of scripture. I ask thee, Father, to guide me, guide my mind and my mouth as I prepare this lesson for those who will hear it. I love thee, Father, and I thank thee for all of the things that you have taught me personally. I thank thee for all of the gifts that you have given me And I am grateful for this opportunity to serve you in creating these lessons to help those who hear it to come closer to thee, that they might learn how to become prophets themselves. We know that you are no respecter of persons, but that there are roles which some of us have, but that you will draw near to those who draw near to you and that as we exercise our minds and our hearts and understand and trying to understand thee that you will open up the windows of heaven that we might understand your true nature and your true character we love thee father and we thank thee for the atonement of jesus christ or yeshua our Messiah, and we ask thee, Father, to be with us as we go through this lesson at this time. We do these things and ask for these things in the name of Messiah. Amen. Names, Titles, and Offices, Chapter 7 of Mysteries of Creation, pages 58 through 67. The names and titles used in scriptures to describe deity are multitude. Subnames are actually titles that signify a particular office, work, mission, authority, etc. For this reason, it has resulted in much confusion and controversy causing many to misunderstand the proper identity and position of God and Christ the God and Christ of this earth. 
Some of these titles include Elohim, Yehovah, God, Christ, only be, and only begotten, and are especially confusing because they do not necessarily apply to one particular person. Since more than one person can hold a particular title, and since and since one person can hold more than one title at a time, it is important to define and know the meaning and powers relating to these titles and offices. In addition, each of these names, titles, and offices can apply literally or figuratively. They may apply to the spiritual realm or to the temple. They may pertain to a particular time span or to a special work or calling. A person may even go through the course of his existence in the gospel plan of salvation and hold many of these titles and offices. When God or Christ assumes a certain name or title, it has been principally to clarify the specific role he is functioning in at that time. But unfortunately, it has created only more confusion, even resulting in apparent contradictions in the scriptures. By taking these names of deity literally, or assuming that a certain name or title refers to a particular person every time it is used, some passages of scriptures just don't make any sense. We're on page 59 at 10%. What can be done? Simply seek to understand the function of the person acting under that title rather than assuming that certain that a certain title and person are always synonymous as our modern Christian friends are doing. We must discern how, when, and why a title of deity applies to a certain person. So the key to clarifying these terminologies is to understand when and why a particular title should be used. Attributing the wrong title to an individual or assigning the right title at the wrong time is easily and frequently done. There must be a reason for such a multitude of names and titles. It is up to us to learn what those titles mean because it is an essential part of the gospel plan. Once we understand the proper use of these names, titles, and offices, it is easier to understand the plan of salvation and the author of it. Names of God and Christ Throughout the scriptures, both God and Christ are given many different names. When God spoke to Moses, he introduced himself by saying, Behold, I am Jehovah your Elohim, or I am the Lord God Almighty, and endless is my name. And like, I just, I can't stand it. Like, why did they have to change what was written in the Hebrew scriptures to Lord God? Anytime you see Lord in capital letters and then God, it literally says, Jehovah or the Tetragrammaton 
um, which I don't know for some reason we're like YHVH, but it, in the Hebrew it's it's not that, but it, it stands for Yehovah, and then God means Elohim. So he's literally saying, "Behold, I am Yehovah, your Elohim." And endless is my name, for I am without beginning of days or end of years. And is not this endless? Moses chapter 1, verse 3. Then later God said, Behold, I am God. Man of holiness is my name. Man of counsel is my name. And endless and eternal is my name also. Moses chapter 7, verse 35. Even before the birth of Jesus, he was called the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the earth. Page 60 at 19%. The Lamb was used to denote many things in the sacrifice of the Israelites, and these were also applicable to Jesus. About 600 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah gave him several names. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Sar Shalom. Just kidding. That's Hebrew. The Prince of for, that's Hebrew for the Prince of Peace. I love that. I, I love that. The Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The different names and titles were given to clarify the nature, the work, and the function of God and Christ. Some recent scholars have explained this further. The names by which he revealed himself in the Old Testament period were, as has been noted, descriptive largely of the divine activities and functions. It was mentioned further that there was an elaboration of functions. From the foregoing, it seems clear that the Old Testament usage, the names describe functions and activities of God, although intrinsic and even metaphysical implications are not wholly absent. More significant still, they represent stages in a progressive self-disclosure of deity, a revelation which utilized situations, especially crucial ones, as vehicles. And quote Zondervan's picture encyclopedia of the Bible... Volume 2, page 764. Jesus came and took upon him the name or title of Christ, meaning anointed. Jesus was the anointed of the Father to the calling of becoming the Savior or Redeemer. Two dictionary meanings are Christ, which means anointed from hero to anoint, under the Old Testament dispensations, high priests, kings, and prophets were appointed to their office by the pouring of sacred oil upon their heads. The rite was performed by the rec- recognized officer of Jehovah and was an outward testimony 
that their appointment proceeded directly from God himself as the source of all authority and as being under the ancient covenant in a peculiar way, the governor of his people. And that comes from Cassell's Bible Dictionary, page 257. Jesus also came to fulfill the title of Messiah, or Hamashiach in Hebrew. So Messiah is Aramaic, Hamashiach, or Mashiach is uh, Hebrew, and Hamashiach means the Messiah, because uh, he is the King Messiah. Anyway, this is a title which also means the promised or anointed one in the Aramaic language. Aramaic was spoke the spoken language of Palestine in the time of Jesus. Uh, I, you know what? It irritates me when people use that. The spoken language of Palestine. Uh, Palestine was not what it was called when Jesus was alive. Um, that was given to the the Holy Land by the Romans to kind of thumb their nose at the Jews um, because it had to do with uh, naming the land after Philistine, the Philistines. Um, We should just call it the language of the Israelites in the time of Jesus. But anyway, the Messiah is, however, not an Old Testament expression, but occurs for the very first time in apocalyptic literature. In the Old Testament, the earliest use of the word is with Yehovah, or Y-H-V-H, as a title of the ruling sovereign Messiah, Yehovah, uh, Mashiach, Y-H-V-H, or the Tetragrammaton. And it basically means uh, God's anointed one, and that's according to the Jewish Encyclopedia, Volume 8, Page 505. This term, Messiah, often applied to the priests because they were representing God in the capacity of performing his ordinances by his authority and according to his will. Isaiah was the first one to use such a title for the promised king of Israel. See Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 6. Similarly, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel followed with that promised and ideal ruler. At the birth of Jesus, he was also called Emmanuel, being interpreted God with us. Which is a deeper and more spiritual context to the title of or to the messianic title. The names that God has applied to himself are clearly identifiable with his activities and his work. Similarly, a man who goes fishing is called a fisherman. One who raises crops on a farm is a farmer. A photographer takes photographs, etc., God uses names to identify himself for the better understanding of man. Throughout the many centuries of man on the earth, he has had a miserable time getting 
to understand the true God of the heaven. Names familiar to man were used by God so that his children would be able to understand the God they should worship. And we're on page 62 at 42%. The many names of God are disclosures and revelatory statements for man. They reflect the true character of God. In some instances, they they depict the authority, such as in Deuteronomy 18.20, Matthew 21.9, etc. While in other scriptures, they explain more of his dignity and glory, Isaiah 48, verse 9. There were two basic names of God in the Hebrew scriptures, Elohim and Jehovah, uh, he says, or Yahweh, and I don't. There's no, uh, there's no Hebrew vowel structure which spells out Yehovah. I mean, not Yeho- uh, Yahweh. The vowel structure which preserves the name of the Tetragrammaton, uh, which has been shown over three thousand times by recent discoveries by uh, Nehemiah Gordon and his team. It shows that his name is pronounced Yehovah. We use Jehovah as a uh, an English transliteration of the Hebrew word Yehovah. And Elohim means mighty ones in the scriptures. And I know it's a plural for God, but there are those who are called Elohim in the scriptures that are judges, prophets, false gods, Moses and I think Moses or Aaron was called an Elohim. It, it, it basically, as far as the rabbis that I um, study from <laughs> on YouTube, uh, Tovia Singer and uh, different uh, people who are not Christians, but they they say that uh, Elohim means mighty one. Of course, they're monotheistic and they might want to be denying the fact that there is a plurality of gods which completely rejects what Jesus said, of course, because they don't believe Jesus, but what also David said in Psalms 82 or 28, I can't remember. Anyway, but like, and they were, they were, um, they had a plurality of gods that they understood before the Babylonian captivity, and then after that, um, after the Paleo-Hebrew switch and after their captivity, they became more monotheistic. So, whatever. I, that's a whole history that um, I have read about, but I am not qualified to get into those discussions. Anyway, continuing... These terms were often combined with others in order to emphasize the attributes and character of God, such as, quote, the living God, the Most High, the Lord God of hosts, the I Am, the Infinite, the Holy One of Israel, the Father, the Governor of all things, the Eternal Perfection, the Eternal Perfection, Omnipotent, the unknown God, Almighty, God Almighty, the first, the Holy One, the King of Kings, 
the lawgiver, the great spirit, Lord of lords, the rock, the ruler, Alpha and Omega, the living God, the way, the word, the creator, Jehovah, Jesus, the Christ, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> Jesus, the Christ also has gone by many titles. Probably more have been used in referring to him than to God, uh, God the Father. So here's the title the author gives, uh, the, the titles the author gives for Jesus. Adonai, Advocate, Almighty, Amen, Author of Salvation, Apostle. Like, real quick, Jesus Christ was an apostle of the Father. That's why he's called an apostle. The apostles who followed Jesus Christ, they were apostles of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ himself is an apostle of the Father. He is the first witness of the Father, the Messiah ben uh, Judah. And... I am the second witness or apostle of the Father, the Messiah, Ben Joseph. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, how dare you claim that name? Well, Jesus Christ claimed names that people flipped out about. And, um, you know, that <laughs> I love um, Ben Shapiro and Michael Knowles and Matt Walsh and especially Andrew Clavin. Um, I listen to them, the Daily Wire podcasts, whatever. And Ben Shapiro, who is a an Orthodox Jew, does not believe in Jesus Christ, but he always says, facts don't care about your feelings. And I love it. I'm pretty sure he has Asperger's because um, he's just like pl- blunt and to the point, you know. Anyway, um, but facts don't care about your feelings, right? And Jesus Christ would have said the same thing because he shot facts out his mouth and they didn't like it, you know? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Let me get back into this. I just, that word apostle, like a lot of people are like, yeah, Jesus was an apostle. Okay, let's jump to, like, let's go to the next logical, like the logical um, understanding of it. He was an apostle of the Father. Anyway. Beginning, beloved son, the branch, and I don't agree with that. Um, I think that titles are applied to him by the Christians who think that those titles ought to be applied to him. But it's because they don't understand the reality of what is actually being said there. Like it's like G everybody, all the Christians see every, every title in office or whatever, especially Trinitarians as applying to Jesus. But there are titles in the scriptures that apply to other individuals, the stem, the root, the rod and the branch of Isaiah chapter 11 do not apply to Jesus Christ. And I know I'm going off on a tangent and a lot of you are like about ready to turn this off, but let me just explain. 
in Doctrine and Covenants section 113, when Joseph Smith, Smith asks Jesus Christ, who is the stem of Isaiah chapter 11, Jesus Christ says the stem is Christ. He does not say, I am the stem. The stem is Christ, or in other words, a Messiah. Now Cyrus, that that um, that brought the Jews out of captivity in Babylon, he was called a Messiah or a Mashiach, a Christ. And he was a pagan. See, there are many thing, many uh, different individuals who are called messiahs that just because they're called messiahs doesn't mean they they are the messiah or the king messiah. Jesus Christ is the messiah. He is Hamashiach. He is the king messiah. But um and I'm going off on a tangent here because this is where we're going. You know, let's just... When Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith the first time, he gave him a list of scriptures. And now I'm not going to look these up. I'm going off of memory, so I might get, not get them exactly right. You can go look them up yourself. But and this is Joseph Smith history. Um, I'd say chapter one, if there was more than one chapter, but there's not around verse 40 to 42 ish, at least in the LDS version, uh, Moroni says that Acts chapter three, verse 22 and 23 was about to happen, but the day had not yet come when, when that man would be rejected by his people. No, he says that 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 man is Christ, but the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. Okay, that's interesting because Jesus Christ had already been rejected by his people. Now, what is Moroni referring to? Acts chapter 3, 22 and 23 speaks about the man like unto Moses, who if you will not hear his voice, you shall be cut off from among the people. Moroni calls that man a Christ who had not yet been rejected by his people. But Jesus Christ had already been rejected by his people. You see? It's not talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about the Christ or the Messiah of the tribe of Joseph. And and let me just tell you, Joseph Smith was not rejected by the majority of his people. So it's not talking about him either. It's talking about a future Messiah who is also called a Christ. So when you go back to Isaiah chapter uh, chapter 11 and we're talking about the stem the root, the rod, and the branch, these are four Davidic individuals who come in the last days. One of them is called the stem. When Joseph Smith asks Jesus Christ who the stem of Isaiah 11 is, 
Jesus Christ does not say, I am the stem. He does not say, Jesus Christ is the stem. All he says is, the stem is Christ. And that stem that Moroni spoke, or that stem that Isaiah saw, that's one of the four Davidic servants who comes in the last days. And you can go through Isaiah chapter 11 to get the context of what Isaiah is talking about, which does happen in the last days. And um, I, I shouldn't, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, I don't know, go on, on these little tangents. But I think that it's important that we don't just assume that we understand what the scriptures are referring to, especially if, well, I, I just don't even know. Like most people just run to the, the conclusion, oh, Jesus said Christ and he's the Christ. Therefore, he must be the stem. Sorry, that's not God's interpretation of the scriptures. That's you assuming that you understand something that you clearly do not understand, if, if you do hold that view. Anyway, and I'm here to correct your views. That's part of the reason God sent me. To call you to repentance, to teach you correct doctrine, to be a witness of the Father and the Son, and to hold the authority of, of the ordinances, which I do hold. And I receive them from the Father in the spring of 2003. God himself gave them to me by the laying on of his own physical hands upon my own physical head. That happened. Anyway, continuing on. The bread of life, the bridegroom, the carpenter's son, <laughs> the chosen one, Christ child, counselor, creator, the deliverer, the desire of ages, the door, brother, Elias, the exemplar, the expiation, the father, the first born, the Galilean, God, the good shepherd, high priest, holy one, Messiah, husband, Emmanuel, incarnate, intercessor, just one, Jesus, judge, king of the Jews, king of kings, the light, lamb, lawgiver, uh, lord, lion, logos, lord of lords, lord God, lord of hosts, lord of the Sabbath, lord of Sabaoth, Lord of the harvest, the manna, Lord of the vineyard, Lord omnipotent, messenger, master, mediator, most high, Messiah, morning star. He's never called the morning star. He's called the bright and morning star. And that's another office that people really don't understand. The one who holds the morning star office is the one who came in the morning of the history of this earth. His name was Michael, and he took upon himself the name of Adam to honor God the God the Eternal's name, who is Adam, amen. He, 
Adam, Michael, is called the morning star. Jesus Christ came in the noon of the history of this earth, or the second major dispensation. And he is called the bright and morning star because he comes in the meridian of time. And the one who is known as the Hilo ben Shakar, who is also known as Messiah ben Joseph, who in Latin would be called Lucifer or the bearer of light and truth, he is called the evening star. Now, I know, oh my gosh, I just offended a whole lot of people out there. But let me explain to you why I say Lucifer. Lucifer means the bearer of light and truth. When Lucifer in heaven, a different individual, rebelled against the Father and the Son and the plan of salvation, his title of what we would call Lucifer in Latin was stripped from him and given to another, and he was cast out, and he became Hasatan, or the accuser of the brother, who we call Satan today. Or the devil. Lucifer was an was a high position of authority. The title is. And the one who fell from that position, that high and holy position, he became Satan. How do I know this? When I learned this, I was like, what? Okay, because it has to do with me. Real quick. Okay, in uh, 1995, I was caught up in the spirit, and Jesus Christ took me through the Salt Lake Temple. And he brought me up to the middle tower on the east side, which is the highest room in the temple. And I went into a room which he instructed me to go into, and I stood in the presence of the Father in that place. And he told me that I would be the prophet or the Lord's anointed when Jesus Christ returned. Well, that was kind of weird because I was a Baptist at the time, and I was fully anti-Mormon. I, or I just, it was like completely out of left field, or I guess. I, I Like, it was just... Nothing that I ever would have even thought about at all. And this experience happened in 95. And I was like, what in the world was that all about? And like when I was standing in the presence of the Father, it was like standing in in the power of God, which the power of, the, of God is his love, which is more powerful than words can describe. It is ineffable undescribable it's like take the most powerful love you've ever felt and just just multiply that by infinity it is so and it makes it hard to be in this world when you know what it's like to be in the presence of the father In 2000, 
1997, I met the missionaries, and I, I had a conversion experience. It was a pretty powerful experience. In 1997, I got my patriarchal blessing, and in my patriarchal blessing, it says that I have been given the greatest gift that God has to bestow, the gift of eternal life. Later, I asked a stake president and a stake patriarch about what that meant, and they said that it meant that I had had my calling and election made sure. When I asked the Father in the name of Jesus Christ how in the world this was possible, he only told me it is not because of who you are now in this life. It is because of who you were before you came here. But he left it at that. He did not tell me who I was at that time. I continue to ask how it's possible to have my calling election made sure and what that even meant. I studied every every word I could get my hands on about that topic. But I kept going to God and asking him. And finally in 2003, as I was praying over this subject... I was caught up in the flesh. So the first time I was caught up in the spirit and I was with Jesus. The second time and the and Jesus brought me to the Father and then I, I stood in the presence of the Father in the spirit. In 2003, I stood in the presence of the Father in the the flesh and uh, I'm not going to go over it um, like I go into very specific details about that experience uh, on YouTube and, and in different places even on this podcast I go into very great detail on what happened with that uh, with that uh, although I don't share exactly everything but I share most of it 98% maybe I guess Anyway, but as I, as I stood in the presence of the Father, or as I fell on my face in his presence, he told me to get up and, and he opened his arms to me and I embraced him in the flesh. And then he knelt down and then he asked me to kneel down before him and I asked him why, because I'm very curious about things. And he said, that I might seal you up unto myself, that you might be sealed. No, he said that I might seal you up into eternal life, that you might be sealed up unto myself, or something to that effect. Okay. So I knelt before the Father, and he put his hands on my head, and immediately as he spoke, I didn't even hear what he was saying, because I was so shocked that I was that light was emanating, not a little bit of light. Brilliant white light was emanating from my whole body. I wasn't expecting it. But I did not hear what he said at that time. But... um, and then after that, I went and sat down with Jesus Christ, and we talked for quite a while. And, and he shared with me some very important things about why I have been through so much in my life. Um, 
and I had a bunch of stuff about my family and my future wife and how he was preparing her to be with me and how he allowed me to go through all of the horrible things that I've been through that I might be um, made into the servant that he needed me to be. And uh, that didn't make it easier to have to, like, to know, like, this was actually God's plan to allow me to go through some of this stuff that I went through in the past. But, but anyway, so that happened in 2003. From 2003 to 2013, I continued to have many visions and many dreams and I was taken out of my body multiple times and shown tons of stuff, mysteries, things about the past, things about who we are and why we are, things about who God is and how he became who he is. Just a wealth of information. And like sometimes I would be asking about one thing and God would give me, like he would take me up and show me personally but then I would, I would like, it, okay, here's the answer to that, but also this. And it would just be a wealth of information that God would reveal to me for 10, 10 years of my life. In January of 2013, God came to me again. And he said, kneel down before me and ask me who you are. I did so and he showed me by taking me up in the spirit and showing me a vision of the past. Part of the vision was to see the one who is chosen is God the witness, who is Lucifer, rebel against the Father and the Son, and he was cast off, stripped of his title, and he became the accuser or the Hasatan. I saw the Father and the Son come down from the podium from or the, the platform from which they stood and in front of that platform there were those who are called mighty and strong so there's 15 for each earth Jehovah is also one who is mighty and strong Michael, Jesus uh, Lucifer was called mighty and strong and then there's four for each dispensation uh, there's actually five because because Adam, Michael, is one, and, and there's four for his dispensation. Um, Jesus Christ is one, and there are four for his dispensation. And then I am one, and there was an Elias whose name is Joseph Smith, who is also mighty and strong, and there are three others for this dispensation who assist in the work. And then behind them are the noble and great ones, Abraham was one of them. We all know that. Uh, but they're like the 70s, the 70 apostles in the church. It's the same structure. It's the same hierarchy. Anyway, so after the vacancy of, of the one who became Satan, 
The Father and the Son went down among us who were mighty and strong, and I was among them. And I was chosen to take the place of the second witness or apostle of the Father, God the Witness, the Ruach HaKodesh, or the Holy Ghost, who you call the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and when I saw that, I like at the time I thought that maybe Joseph Smith was was the Holy Ghost come in the flesh, because Joseph Smith does talk about that a little bit. But like people assume, because Joseph Smith said uh, the Holy Ghost is now in a state of probation that if he should perform in righteousness. He should come to do the same or similar things that Jesus did. There's a couple of quotes that are something to that effect. So I'm like, oh, Joseph Smith's the Holy Ghost. Well, no, he's actually not. And that actually contradicts DNC section 130 and Joseph Smith's last lecture, which is called the Lecture at the Grove. Joseph Smith says at that time the Holy Ghost is a spirit being. He does say in other places that that the Holy Ghost will take a body, will come into mortality, will come to do the same or similar things that Jesus did. You know, but like a lot of people, like especially fundamentalists, are like, oh, Joseph's the Holy Ghost. We love Joseph. Okay, well, go on with your bad self, you fundamentalist fools. Even though it contradicts scripture, you'll just hold and cling to your, your strong delusion. But anyway, so um, I was the one that was chosen. I am the the evening star, and and when I um, when I learned this, I was just like, it, it took like I was watching this, and it was like, I was like just my mind was just spinning, and I was like. I, you know, it's a lot of information to take in. And finally, I looked up at the father and I said, I looked at the father. He was standing next to me. He was the one showing me these things. And I looked at him and I said, am I the witness And with a big smile on his face and a chuckle, he said, well, it has to be somebody. And I was just like, oh, what? <laughs> and and to this day, I see through a glass darkly. I do not understand why in the world God would choose me to be his witness. But it makes sense with the experiences that I have had of seeing him face to face in the flesh. Now, when I told you when I saw him in the flesh and he put his hands on my head and light was like brilliant white light was emanating from me. I was so enamored, I did not hear what he was saying at that point. 
But shortly after this experience in 2013, he revealed to me what he did say. And when he placed his hands upon my head, while light was emanating from me like emanated from Moses, we had to put a veil on his face. He revealed to me that not only did he seal me up into himself, which is what he said he was going to do, that I might be sealed up into eternal life, but that he gave me the fullness of the priesthood and he gave me all of the keys to do my job on the earth. The keys of the church, the kingdom, and the priesthood. Later on, like he would reveal to me that I was the one mighty and strong who had set the house of God in order. Now, because he showed me that there were many others who were mighty and strong, I was like, oh, just trying to like pawn that off onto somebody else, you know? Because I'm like, I'm not. That's not me. I'm like, he's, I, I have this bad habit. When he tells me something, I'm like, that, why would why would you choose me? <laughs> or, oh, that's just somebody else. And he actually rebuked me one time and he said, you are that man. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's not any other individual. They will assist, but you are that man. And the reason why I'm the only one who could set the house of God in order is because I am the only one with the authority to do so. You can do all the perfect things and obey every commandment and every every rule, law, whatever, um, and live the united order perfectly and live everything perfectly. But without the authority, you're not set in order. It requires the authority that God gave me for that, for the order to happen correctly, for the setting in order to happen correctly. Anyway, let's continue on. This is 50, 52%. Our Lord, the Nazarene, the only begotten prophet, potentate, prince of peace, Quetzalcoatl, the propitiation, the purifier, the redeemer, the rabbi, the reconciliator, the resurrection, the refiner, the restorer, ruler, risen Lord, rock, servant, savior, second, Adam. That's interesting because he will become an Adam. Jesus will. That's the next step for him. That's why he's called the second Adam. And soon he will be the first when a new earth is created. Son, Amen. Shiloh. Son. Son of Joseph. Son of David. Son of God. Son of righteousness. Son of man. 
Son of Mary, stem of Jesse, and we've already talked about that. He is not, never claimed to be. That's people assuming things. You know, when you assume things, you will always find yourself in error. Always. Let's see. Son of the Father, Son of the Living God, the Testator, the Stone of Israel, the Word, the True Vine, the Way, the... But, okay. He's also... um, People in Isaiah 49, they're like, oh, he's the Shepherd of Joseph. Or the Stone of Joseph. Nope, that's, that's Messiah ben Joseph. But, you know, people, they want to say, oh, well, that must be talking about Jesus. Not always. It's not always the way it is. Anyway, continually, uh, continuing, we're at 55%. But God does not particularly care what name, wish, particularly care what name we wish to call him, but rather how we worship him. John the Apostle said, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, not spirit only, meaning he has a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verse 23 through 24, and we're at page 64 at 57%. What's in a name? The use of different names is not uncommon in our own time. For example, most of the Hollywood stars have a stage name and a given name, as well as a name of the character that they are portraying. When they are an actor, they will use one name, but when they are among family and friends, they are often known by another. That's like me. Like at work, I'm known as Mark. Mark Lichtenwalter. A lot of people call me Redbeard because i got a big red beard on my face and it's just easier, and I tell them to call me that. It's easier for them to remember who Redbeard is. And, you know, and I have a problem with remembering people's names. I don't know why. I hate it. Like, I'll even write names down and put them on, like, sticky notes in my truck. And I'll be like, okay, that guy's name was. And then, like, a day or two later, I completely forget what the guy's name is. Even people I've known for a while, I'm like, what was his name again? <laughs> what? Like, just, I don't understand why that is for me. I, and I hate it. But um, but at work, people know me as Mark. But my family calls me Tyson. My wife calls me Tyson. My kids call me Dad. <laughs> but like my friends... Some of them call me Tyson, and I've actually asked him to start calling me Mark Tyson because I, like, like the other day, Joshua Erickson, I was over at his house, and he asked me to pray. Uh, we were doing a Zarahemla Foundation thing, and uh, he asked me to pray. He says, Tyson, will you please pray for us? 
and I was like, are you talking to me? Is there another Tyson in the room? I Like, what? Anyway, after the fact, I said, can you just call me Mark Tyson? Like, that way I know you're talking to me and not just some other Mark or some other Tyson. And, like, he used to call me Mark, but then Kim kept on calling me Tyson. He's like, well, who are you talking? What? And then Kim was like, oh, everybody calls him Tyson. Like, but Mark's his first name. Because Mark is the name of my father. My father who I've not seen since 2008 or 10 or so. I haven't really spoke to him since 2006 because he's a deadbeat like I tried so hard to get to know him and um, I even moved down to St. George Utah where he lives and if I forced my way into his life he'd be like hey how you doing hey you know but like uh, it a really important date was coming up where I was getting married to my first wife in Salt or in Bountiful. Actually, we we got sealed in the Bountiful Temple, and um, uh, he said he would be there. He wasn't there at the breakfast. He wouldn't answer his phone. He. Um, when we came out of the temple, he wasn't there. And we're getting pictures done. And I finally, I was like, hey, can I borrow your phone? And I borrowed my sister's phone. And I called him. I said, hey, where are you at? He says, oh, I didn't. I didn't. Decided not to come. Like, it was all I could do not to break down in tears. Because I wanted that relationship with him so badly. But he never raised me. He was a drug addict my whole life when he lived with us, uh, you know, all the way up to three years old. And, uh, And he spent his life working jobs under the table so he wouldn't have to pay child support. And most of the time we didn't know where he was. And when they would catch him or they would find him, he would quit his job and and leave and go live somewhere else. He is a piece of dirt as far as I'm concerned. I know, you're supposed to honor your father and your mother, and I don't know how in the world you can honor such an individual. I honor my father in heaven, uh, my father and mother in heaven. That's who I honor. And um, I even changed my name in 2006. Because my grandfather, who helped raise me, was my father. So my name was Mark Tyson Trent. And in 2006, I added Lichtenwalter. Because that's my grandma, my maternal grandpa's grandfather's name. And he raised me. He, he did the best raising of me that anybody ever liked. Nobody else did that for me.
Anyway, but my family calls me Tyson, even though my name's Mark. I use Mark um, in my public life, and Tyson is my the name that my friends and family call me. And now I'm like, oh, it's a kind of confusing. So I tell my friends and family, just call me Mark Tyson. It's easier that way, right? Especially my friends, and especially if we're in a group setting, like Joshua Erickson the other day when he says, uh, Tyson, will you please uh, say the prayer for us or whatever? I'm like, what? Is there another Tyson here? Who are you talking to? <laughs> anyway. Most women have a maiden name and then assume a married name, the difference being determined by her station, single or married. Anciently, many had their names changed under the command of God. Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Simon Barjona became Peter. Jesus was called the Christ, which meant king or the anointed one. He was also called counselor and advocate on certain occasions, which indicated he was functioning with the law. His position and name changed when he acted in a manner to be called the great physician. Also, Michael became Adam because he was functioning in the role of an Adam or a first man, and also to honor the name of God, the eternal father. That's why every earth has an Adam, whether it's Jehovah that was an Adam at one time or Jehovah, whether it was Michael who was an Adam for this earth, whether it's Jesus who will become an Adam. He's the second Adam, right? He will become the first Adam on that new world that John sees. Every man who becomes an Adam, or every man who it becomes, uh, <laughs> every man who is given an earth becomes an Adam to that world, to to that earth. Every single one, and every woman becomes a Hava. And for some reason, in English, we call her Eve. But in reality, her name is Hava. Anyway, he performed another mission and held another office in two different times and situations. Lucifer also was once known as the light bearer. And he still, that name still means light bearer. But when he fell, he took on the name of Satan or Prince of Darkness. He was actually given that name or that title. His actual name is blotted out. That's not what his name actually is. That is the title that he is called. But Lucifer still means bearer of light and truth. And that's Latin for Hillel ben Shikar anyway. Or the Ruach HaKodesh, which actually can mean uh, a number of different things. But like Jesus was a Ruach HaKodesh, which means in a, a set-apart spirit of God. Before he came into mortality, Jesus Christ was the Ruach HaKodesh. And then he became the Redeemer. 
it, it's all complicated. Like, it's interesting though. It's all fun to it's fun to to try to understand these things, and it's really fun to actually be taught these things by the father, or get a confirmation of what I'm saying. You know, because I'm talking to you about it. Anyway, so. When Jesus Christ applied the name of the Father to himself, it was in a sense an adoptive parent. He was acting as a father in assuming the care, protection, and paternal nature of the Father. This comes only to those who believe in him and place their trust in him as a child to a father. So in the Book of Mormon, when he calls himself the Father, It's because he paid for our sins and transgressions with the price of his own blood for wine. We are adopted to him as children. And it's only those who come to him that that he calls sons and daughters. Not everybody. Everybody on the earth is a child of the father but they may not be a child of Jesus. And that might be confusing, but it begins to be more clear when you understand the law of adoption. For why? Paul says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Galatians chapter 5, 26. In this manner, we are all adopted into the family of God, becoming subject to the laws and principles of the Father. The Apostle John describes it best by saying, quote, and we're on page 65 at 69%, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as would receive him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. However, it should be noted that Jesus nowhere implied that he was actually the Father, except for in the Book of Mormon, but that you have to understand what that even means. Or you'll run off in some false doctrine like the Trinity and you just, you just, you believe the lie, you receive strong delusion that you all may be damned because you don't love the truth. You don't love the truth enough to go to God to get the correct interpretation of scripture. And you run amok with the scripture. And Joseph Smith said, anyone who contradicts the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you set them down as an imposter. Well, if you're contradicting the truth, the true interpretation of scripture, I would say, yeah, you're an imposter. But what people do is they contradict their interpretation or they think somebody's contradicting their interpretation and then they want to say, oh, that person's an imposter. Well, no, because you never went to God to get the true interpretation or confirmation of the spirit for yourself. And you are the one that is actually contradicting the true interpretation of Scripture when you spout your nonsense. Continuing on, he is assuming the spiritual relationship which he will have with those who accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He always gives the literal generation of God's children to his father, such as when he said, I go to my father and your father. John chapter 20, verse 17. And this isn't in the book, but when he says that, he says, I'm going to my father and your father. He's talking about Michael, who is Adam, who is our father, and Jehovah, our Elohim, who you call Jehovah, who is our father as well. My father and your father, my God and your God, actually. My father and your father, that's Michael. My God and your God, that's Jehovah. Anyway, Paul said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through, six, uh, through 17. By the same principle, men can take upon them another form of adoption. Christ spoke to those who were disobedient to God about their parentage by saying, You are of your father, the devil. John 8, 44. Speaking as the father and speaking for the father are two different postures. Jesus often spoke for the father, quoted the Father, and acted for the Father. In all of this, he was acting in a position of the Father. Bruce R. McConkie wrote, quote, He is the Father by what has aptly been termed divine investiture of authority. That is, since he is one with the Father in all of the attributes of perfection, And since he exercises the power and authority of the Father, it follows that everything he says or does is and would be exactly and precisely what the Father would say and do under the same circumstances. And by the way, we're on page 66 and we're at 80%. Accordingly, the Father puts his own name on the Son and authorizes him to speak in the first person as though he were the Father. This is similar to the situation in which Christ puts his name on an angel so that the designated heavenly ministrant can speak in the first person as though he were Christ himself. See Revelations chapter 1 verse 1, 19 verse 9 through 10 and Revelations 28 through 14. Thus it is our Lord, is that our Lord can begin a revelation by saying, listen to the voice of Jesus Christ, and shortly thereafter, speak of mine only begotten. Doctrine and Covenants section 29 verse 1, and 41 through 46. That's uh, verses 41 through 46. Such latter expressions being made by Christ, but under the divine investor, investure of authority, which permits him to speak as though he were the Father. Doctrine and Covenants 93, 3 through 5, and also Mosiah 
15, 1 through 5. And that's, uh, that is taken from Bruce R. McConkie's book, Mormon Doctrine, page 130. A prophet may speak for God, saying, Thus saith the Lord, and the, those who disobey that word are acting against the word of God and are thus rejecting God. Yet that prophet has not received his exaltation as a God. God was manifest through him just as he was through Jesus Christ. Jesus often took upon himself the position and title of the Father, of Jehovah, and even of God. He could do this with propriety and rightfully so because he acted under the direction and in close harmony with the Father as though he had taken over that particular officer title. Joseph Musser wrote, God is a title, an office, a principle, and yet the being who occupies this office of God is an exalted man. That's true. The office of God has always existed and will always exist. It the office is without beginning of days or end of years. Those now occupying the office of God, whether to this or that planet, are not in their organized capacities without beginning of days or end of years. And by the way, we are on page 67 at 91%. Their creation as organized entities had a beginning and their existence in their mortal state will have an end. Christ, Redeemer, Savior, Messiah are also offices and titles. The office of Christ is a coexist is coexistent with that of God. One is a complementary complement of the other. The two work conjointly, and each is necessary to each other. With the office of God and Christ is associated the whole uh, the office of the Holy Ghost or the Rakh Hakodesh. This Trinity, properly organized, presides over the earth. It's the first presidency of the earth. So. Just as Jehovah or Jesus Christ stands over the church and then you've got the president and his two counselors. For this earth, you have Jehovah who stands over the president, which is God, the creator, who's called our father, Michael, who is Adam, and his two counselors, God, the redeemer, Jesus, and God, the witness, myself. Each inhabited planet or group of planets has uh, has such a presidency. And that comes from Michael, Our Father and Our God, page 85. And I actually need to read that book. I should read Drew Briney's, Briney's book as well, um, talking about the Adam God Doctrine, but also Joseph's, Joseph Musser's book, Michael, Our Father and Our God. Anyway, but that's where that quote comes from. And, like, it's interesting that God taught me that stuff before I even knew about this other stuff. So, anyway, there is a difference between a man and the position he holds in public office. Someone may be called a mayor, 
but he is only such a while working in that capacity. So the office of the president of the United States existed before before any of the last, um, I don't know, 20 presidents. And the office of the presidency exists even though the first, I don't know, 40 presidents are dead. It, it continues to, uh, the office continues to exist. And like I was the one who was chosen to fill the capacity of the witness. I was chosen to, to take that title. But I'm not the only one who has held that title. He may also be called a father because he is the head of a family or an elder in the church or a director of a business. So it is with the position and title used by God and Christ. Understanding these offices and titles is necessary in order to unfold some of the mysteries of conflicting scriptures on the creation and in other areas. The two major titles of Jehovah and Only Begotten will be discussed in more detail in the following two chapters. So now we're going to get into one of the most important chapters for you to understand that Jesus Christ and Jehovah are two separate individuals. And we're going to get into depth in that in the next program when I get to that point. So thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you're looking forward to the next chapter, Chapter 8, Jehovah. And like I said, the link to reading this, this uh, chapter on Tumblr, I, I put that in the link of the description of this video. I put the link to the book so you can go to the website and read the book for free online, Mysteries of Creation. That is in the description of the podcast and uh, and a link to finding other books on the restoration, which is also in the description of the podcast. So, Anyway, um, that is the end of this program, and I just wanted to say thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to end the program with a prayer, like I started it with a prayer, so. O Jehovah, our Elohim. We come to thee in the name of Yeshua, our Mashiach. We thank thee, Father, for helping us to understand who you are, who Michael is who Jesus Christ is, and who we are. I thank thee, Father, for using my mouth as a tool in thine hands 
to teach the people. And I ask thee, Father, that as they consider these things, that their mind would be open to pondering true doctrine. That they may come into thy presence and know who you are. That they may know truth. Not because a man taught them, but because you confirmed the truth to them through the Spirit. Father, I thank thee for the home in which I live, for the job in which I have, and for the health in which I enjoy. And I ask thee, Father, to bless my friends and my family and all those who hear the words of this prayer. And I do so and ask for these things in the name of Messiah. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.